We are the wells of life. Can I have a better amen than that? We're walking around town and in our houses and our communities and on the inside of us is the answer to whatever ails people spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. We have the answers on the inside of us. But uh, one thing we have to make sure we do is monitor the condition of the well. In other words, from time to time, contaminants will get inside of that well and you and I, not because it's God's will, but you and I will suppress that power that's on the inside of us. So what the Lord wants to do is remind you of the high calling that you have today and remind you of what it takes to, to decontaminate that well. And we're going to cap this service off by going before the Lord's table. Now, how many know it's a good thing to be able to go before the Lord's table and to repent of things and to confess things and believe God for things that pertain to that covenant? But I want to start over in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read this to you from verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Say that, be holy because I am holy. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us that without holiness, no man will see God. So let's start out by defining what this term holiness actually is. It's what we mean by the concept of sanctification. And it's the process of you and me being separated from sin. Say that we'll be separated from sin and then separated unto God, his holy vessels for his holy purpose and use. This begins at the new birth, at salvation. So raise your hand if you've ever been born again, if you gave your life to Christ. That is proof that the sanctification process has begun. And you may not think you've not made progress, but I assure you, if you're sitting here today, you have made progress. At the same time, sanctification, or that process of becoming holy in terms of the things of God, uh, it takes time as well. It's instant and it's progressive. Look at somebody and say, you're progressing. Praise the Lord for that. Come on, say, you're progressing. And so Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and you should read the Scriptures from verse 19 through 26, but it seems to me that some people have this idea in the body of Christ that if I'm going to be a vessel unto honor, it's because God decided I was going to be a vessel unto honor. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches if you and I will cleanse ourselves, then we will be vessels unto honor. Some folks have this idea, well, I'm just a clay pot in the church of Christ, or I'm just, you know, a little, you know, dirty, you know, wood pot, you know, in the, in the church of Jesus Christ. No, we are what we decided to be. If we cleanse ourselves, you know, of the latter, the scripture says we can be that silver and that gold, and more importantly than the, than the uh, you know, the, the way you make the pot or what it's made out of is what's on the inside of it. And that's that anointing, that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. In other words, we should be able to be a source of that flow in our lives and through our lives. It's the same thing as being the well of God. Say it, I am the well. So but it's, it's critical we understand the connection between the flow of that anointing and you and I being holy. Look at somebody and tell them, be holy, for God is holy. When I say holy, I'm not talking about how high your hair is up. I'm not talking about how long your sleeves are. I'm not talking about the presence of or absence of makeup. I'm not talking about whether you have some jewelry on or you can't stand to wear jewelry, whatever it is. I'm talking about the inner man. I'm talking about holiness as God defines. It's separation from sin and separation unto him. It does us no good to have all the externals right, but on the inside of us we're filled with dead men's bones. We must be holy, amen, body, soul, and spirit, so that he can use us the way he wants to use us. See, it's true that you're born again, you're spirit-filled, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of you, but if we don't walk in holiness, we're not going to see the flow like we're supposed to see it. And what happens is, it's not so much that you and I are left out, the people around us are left out from connecting with that supernatural power. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Smith Wigglesworth, a great, uh, you know, uh, revivalist of the last century, he basically was asked often, you know, what's the secret of the power that flows in you? And no way, he never, uh, you know, recorded things, he never taped things, he never wrote a book. It was well known, he preached. So, you know what, I'm in the Word all the time, I pray in the Spirit all the time, and he said, I walk in holiness. Say it with me, I walk in holiness. 
I wonder today if people getting instantly healed is worth you living holier than you are right now. I wonder if you've seen people raised from the dead is worth the price of holiness. I wonder if you've seen God use us as a ministry and as a church greater than he ever has. Is it worth us going to a whole new level? And again, this is not about condemnation. There is now therefore no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. But here's what the Spirit of God began to tell us last week. There is now therefore no condemnation but there is correction. And correction is good. Lift your hand and say correction is good. It's not condemnation. It's correction. I look at it, I understand it, I see it, I acknowledge it, I repent of it, and then I move on. Amen? Because if any of us today had to be perfect, we would all be disqualified. So we're not looking at perfection, but we are looking at improvement. We are looking at conviction. We are looking at Lord correct us and let us move on to the next level. Why is that true, Pastor? Well, because sin is a glory repellent. If we want to see more of God's manifest of presence, power, and goodness in us and through us, we're going to have to address the sin issue. And today, you're going to have the lid taken off of your understanding in an area of sin that maybe you've never understood is in fact sin. But how do you understand if we don't know what to address, then we can't get victory over it? Because we typically focus on certain pet sins or things you know we do wrong or whatever, but never really get to the heart of the matter. The Lord wants us to get to the heart of the matter today. I want to just say this to you, that God desires to use you and me, but uh, if sin is prevalent in our lives, it's, it's just not going to happen. Now, in the church where God's glory is being poured out, there's a factor there that's very dangerous for people to walk in an assembly where God's glory is active. Ananias and Sapphira found that out when they lied to the Spirit of God. The one dropped dead in the presence of the apostles. They carried him out. The spouse came in a little while later. She drops dead as well. They carried her out. You know what's funny about that story? There was no funeral visitation. There was no meal. There was nothing. It was just move them out and continue on with the work of God. So that's one of the reasons why the people were kind of concerned about gathering to them because the power flow was live. If you walk out of here and you grab a hold of a bound power line and you die, it's not because somebody over at West Kentucky decided to kill you. Can I have a better amen than that? As they get tired of my father getting a bad rap for the stupid things that people do. We grab a hold of the power line and we die. It's not West Kentucky's fault. It's not TVA's fault. It's not the lineman that put it up there. It's down. We should know not to touch something we're not capable of handling. But God's trying to get us to a place where we can handle it. Where we're walking in holiness and purity so that when the power is flowing, it doesn't do us any harm. It does us all good. It does good to the people around us. The, the anointing has a, has a second side. It's a side that will bless and heal and prosper and do great things. On the other side, it can actually judge. It can actually, you know, bring ultimately to bear, you know, the judgment that's going to come upon this earth. So make no mistake about it, your Lord is not a wimp. Uh, he's not going to limp in here on a donkey next time. Those days are over. There is a dimension of his character where there is judgment, but that's not what he's called us to do or be. He's called us to be vessels unto honor so that we can carry this life-giving anointing so that burdens are removed and yokes are destroyed and we're prepared to carry it. So the one dimension is you won't see much of that power flowing, but when that power begins to flow, people have to be conscious of what God is actually doing. And not grab onto a power line unprepared. Can I have an amen? Can I have a better amen than that? Not insulated by rubber or gloves or tools or equipment, but insulated by holiness. Did you hear what the Holy Ghost just said? Insulated and protected by holiness. Proverbs 4 tells us that it's our job to guard our hearts above all things because out of it flow what? The issues are the life forces of life. And you know, if you're like me, you live in a county, you have a well, sometimes things can get in that well that don't belong there. There can be heavy metals, and there can be radioactive materials, there can be bacteria, and it's our job to test that water. Does that make sense? As, as owners of that property, and it's our job to test the waters of our well. 
to make sure there's no pollutant or contaminant in there. How many will ask the Lord if there's anything in there that doesn't belong there? How many will pray a Psalm 139, search me, O God? Say it with me, search me, O God. That prayer is not search the guy sitting next to me. It's not, you know, search this section over here. We know about them. No. It's search me. Say, search me, oh God. A contaminant is just something that makes something impure by exposure to or addition of a polluting or poisonous substance. You know, we understand what it means to contaminate or to pollute something. What we need to understand is how to decontaminate it, to neutralize or to remove the dangerous substance, the radioactivity or the germs from the well. In this case, remove things in our well, in our lives as Christians that don't believe that, that are polluting that well, contaminating that well, and making us less powerful and as effective as Christians. And I can tell you this, it's not just about the power flowing. Your joy level will go up when your holiness level goes up as well. It's hard to be victorious and full of joy tomorrow when we know we're battling something and we keep failing to it. There's nothing that will destroy your joy life like repeatedly giving in to things you're not supposed to be giving in to. Amen? This battle going on inside of you. John put it this way in 1 John 2.16, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they come not from the Father, but from the world. These are contaminants. We have to understand things in our life like pride and unforgiveness, things like doubt and fear, discouragement, ungodly meditation, things like wrong motives, even sorrow or grief, or even heart issues. We call them heart murmurs, where you're constantly belly aching and complaining. You're always negative. We could include things like lust and greed in that list. But I don't want to go too focused or specific on certain things. I want to back up just a little bit with the lens. Everybody say, back it up, buddy. <laughs> Come on, say it again. Say, back it up, buddy. The Holy Spirit will give you the specifics. I want you to understand how, as human beings, these things manifest in each dimension of our lives at a, at a bigger level. Let me put it to you this way. The contamination of the well can involve any dimension of your life as a believer. Now, I hope you don't mind if I'm teaching you because I'm a pastor teacher. Are you okay with that? If I get to preach on me, then you just have to say, Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But it's important that you get this. And sometimes when you get screamed at, you tune out. I need you to tune in so that you can scream for joy. Amen. Each dimension of a human being is capable of manifesting sin. This isn't a surprise to you. You've lived long enough to know to know this. The problem is, if you're not careful, you'll relegate sin to only certain dimensions without revelation of how those other dimensions can, in fact, facilitate sin in your life. And we know this, the wages of sin is what? Is what? is death. Now watch this. You and I are called to be wells of life. But the wages of sin is death. So how can I be a well of life if I'm walking around, what? Earning the wages of death. You say, well, I'm a Christian. That shouldn't work that way. Christian or not, if you sin, the wages are the same. Amen. Get in your car or truck, point it towards your brick wall, speed up to 120 miles an hour, and confess, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You know what's going to happen? When you hit that wall, you're probably still going to die with I'm a Christian on your lips. And when the fire department comes and sees your mangled body, he's going to say, here lies a stupid Christian. It's the same thing here. Being a Christian does not inoculate you from sin and its consequences. You understand? If you enter into it. Now, thank God we have an eternity, you know, with the Lord and we're forgiven of people. But you have to understand, just because you're forgiven doesn't mean you can go out there and do whatever you want to do. And it's going to be okay for you. And there are a lot of people that believe that's what grace is. No, grace is not do whatever you want to do. Grace is the power not to do it. Can I have a better amen than that? It certainly facilitates God's mercy over your life and eternity, not because we earned it, but because he did. At the same time, that power should be transforming us. 
That same power that saved you, that caused your name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life is the same power that can keep you from these things. But not if you don't understand them. Take, for example, the body. We know that we can sin with the body. But not everything you do with the body is sin. But you can sin with the body. Not everything you do with your mind is sin. But you can sin with the mind. Not everything you do with your will is sin. Maybe you will to go to a certain restaurant or you will not to go to a certain restaurant. But that's not sin. But you can will with, you can sin with your will by choosing the opposite of what God's will is in any given situation. Say it with me, my body, my mind, and my will. But watch this. What most people don't understand in the body of Christ is that you can sin with your emotions as well. That is the piece of revelation that is missing, and that is what is keeping a lot of Christians living way below their privileges. They get it, I can sin with my body. They get it, I can think things with a mind that are wrong. They get it, I can choose against God's will. They get it. When it comes to emotions, and this is even reinforced by psychologists, secular and Christian, that when you are a, 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 an emotional being, you should express that. You should be emotional. You should let, every, let it all out. Is that right? If you want to do something with your body, is it good counsel to tell you to let it all hang out? When your mind is in the gutter, is it a good idea to tell you, just let it run? When you're in disobedience with your will, is it a good idea to counsel somebody, do it again, do it again? Of course not. But this little area of the emotions has almost got a, a stamp of approval from even members of the body of Christ that it's okay to be emotional and do whatever comes with it. No. Because even if you don't understand that you can sin with your emotions, it still produces death. And here's the piece of wisdom for us. There are people in this church, there are people that are watching, and you're experiencing a measure of death in different parts of your life because you were never taught that you can sin with your emotions, let alone how to stop doing it. Well, guess what? Today you're going to find out how to stop it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to go out here, not just with the knowledge of bodily sin or mental sin or sins of the will, but how to deal with sins of the emotions and stop giving yourself permission to sin with the emotions. Come on, say it from this day forward. I no longer give myself permission to sin with the emotions. Sins of the body are obvious. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, let not sin reign. In your mortal body to do what? To obey the lust thereof. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 17 that the person that's joined with Jesus in spirit is one with him. Can you imagine Jesus doing the things that you let your body do? No. We all understand that and we should. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, come out from among them and be ye separate, amen, I'll be a father to you. He tells us that we are supposed to be cleansed, body, soul, and spirit. That's the mandate of Scripture regarding the body. In other words, misuse or abuse of the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, not understanding that we are connected to Jesus, and wherever you go, whatever you're doing, he's there with you. When you commit that bodily sin, he's there with you. Nobody else. He's there with you. We should be conscious of his presence. That consciousness will keep us from doing a lot of things. Can I have an amen out there in this holy fied church? Sins of the mind. We're told in Matthew 5, and you know, 5 uh, 27, if you commit adultery with someone in your heart, you think about it, you meditate it, you go down that path, you have in fact violated the word of God. You violated the principle of purity. In Psalm 19, 14, the psalmist cries out, may the words of my mouth and what? The meditation of my heart be what? Pleasing in your eyes. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 10, 5, we're to cast down vain imaginations and what? Every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Whose job is it to do that? So understand this. Body holiness is whose responsibility? I partner with him, but I have to agree with him, and I have to flow with what the Spirit of God is doing and saying. I have to honor God's word, but to, to, to monitor my mind is not somebody else's job. 
It is our job to monitor what's going on here and then cast those things down that violate the word of God. Sounds tiring, Pastor. No, not when you get into the habit of doing it and when you do it quickly. It's not a sin of the body just because you're attempted to do something. And it's not a sin of the mind just because the thought came across your mind. But if you engage that uh, thought bodily, you engage that thought in terms of meditating on that and holding on to that, now you've got a problem. Now you're sinning with the mind. What about the will? According to the Bible, in Matthew 6.10, it's thy kingdom come. Whose will? Thy will be done. It's about his will. Sins of the will means choosing to go against the express will of God. The Bible says to him who knows to do good and does it not to him is what? It is sin. You know, there's some Christians that have told me they don't believe that's in the Bible. Well, it's in the Bible. To him that knoweth to do good and what? Doeth it not. The sin of the will. We have to understand this. James talked a lot about this principle. You know, you all say you're going to go over here. You're going to conduct business. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You ought to say if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this. Now, we're not talking about where the will of God is revealed in Scripture. It's God's will to forgive. It's God's will to heal. We don't have to say, if it be thy will, look at somebody and say, that's religious nonsense. But when it comes to directing your life, you need to get into the habit of, of caring about what God's will is. Or you commit sin after sin after sin of the will. And this is the way a lot of Christians live. If they, if they want to go to this town, they go to that town. If they want to go work for this person, they go to work for this person. If they want to marry this person, they marry them. If they want to divorce them, they divorce them. If they want to go over here and shack up, they do it. Will after will after will. This is the most willful generation in the history of the body of Christ. And so we sin with our will. And some spiritual leader taps us on the hand and says, there, there, we've all fallen short. You know, that becomes an excuse after a while. Amen. If I remember the scriptures, and I think you do too, when Jesus was called out to deal with a woman taken in adultery, you always wonder where the man is because it usually takes two people to commit adultery. But the man's not brought to bear. And if he had been, he would have had the same kind of judgment. But they wanted this woman judged. They wanted Jesus trapped in his words. What say ye about this? And you know what he said? He that is without sin cast the first stone. And where does the modern Christian theologian stop that verse? Right there. He that is without sin, what? Cast the first stone. But you know what Jesus said? He said, neither do I condemn thee. And the modern, you know, tolerant preacher say, yes, that's right. Neither do I condemn thee. Read the rest of what he said. He said, go and sin no more. Now you check it for yourself. It's in red. Come on, say it. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and what? Sin no more. Instead of saying, well, okay, I'm not condemned, so I'll just keep doing it. Use his non-condemnation as the force and the power and the way to walk out there and not do it again. Go and what? Sin no more. Go and sin no more bodily. Go and sin no more mentally. Go and sin no more with your will. And go and sin no more in the area of your emotions. Amen. I just poke your neighbor and say, he's about to go in high-octane metal mode. So get ready. Metal, meddling is one of my spiritual gifts. As a pastor, now I'm talking 31 years of doing this full-time. 99.99% of the sins I've dealt with in Christian's life have not been bodily. Every once in a while I run into it. I don't mind telling you that I do, and I have to deal with it as a pastor. I had a person years ago that was a part of our team here on paid staff, and her husband found her with another man in a hotel in Paducah. And they came, he, you know, this person came to my office and said, you know, uh, yeah, that's right. Well, we just get along really well. We have great chemistry, and you should allow me to stay on staff here. I said, what are you smoking? I love you. This church loves you. I think you know that. Time and time again, stood with you, but this is not correct. This is not in order. You repent and you reconcile and work this thing out. I'll be glad to work with you on the other part. That's secondary to how important this thing is. 
And they just looked at me like I was nuts. How dare you expect me to repent? Well, anybody giving you any other counsel than that is not following the word of God. Again, not condemnation, but correction. So, you know, we've, we've dealt with it. Amen. I had a man come to my office years ago. We were over there in the other building still. He had 23, 25, 27 affairs on his wife. And he, he volunteered this to me. And um, I was trying to help him. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a steep hill to climb right there. <laughs> and he said, uh, I have a high testosterone level. And I said, it's not your testosterone level. It's your character issue. It's a character thing. Amen. Yeah, dealt with it. Uh, we've dealt with sins, you know, in terms of, of the mind. Um, where people go down a path that is completely unscriptural and that causes confusion in their, in their families and confusion in their marriages and confusion in their, in their ministries. It's, it's there. I've seen a, a lot of things happen through the years. I've seen people so convinced that something was God's will every five minutes, God was changing his mind. I mean, it's like you need to send an order of Prozac up to heaven, you know, because God is really having a tough time. I mean, jerk their family over here, and jerk their family over here, and jerk their family over here, and jerk their... And I mean, just absolutely positive, this is God's will, this is God's will, this is God's will. And we can kind of coin that, you know, flakiness, or what an article one time called, calling it the itch. They get the itch, and then they, they act. But where does it all start? In an unrenewed, unsubmitted mind. And you're thinking things that are not pure. Why did Paul say to the church, whatever things are what? Pure lovely, etc. Why would he do that? He was talking to the church because the church is even prone to unscriptural thinking. To sin, what? With the mind. There's no question about that. Amen. We've seen plenty of people sin with a will. I mean, they just will to do certain things and they, they go and do it. They're going to do what they will to do. And you can point out, here's what the word of God says. Don't judge me. Listen, when somebody says that to you, that's just a cover for doing what I want to do. Can I help you out here? The Word does judge us. Everybody say, the Word judges us right and wrong. Amen? Flag on the play. Amen. Illegal procedure. The Word tells us right and wrong. That's the authority in our life. So if we as leaders quote the Word to you, we're not judging you. The Word is actually judging you. Do you do what it says or not? As long as my arm, you know, bodily things, yes, there are cases of it. Uh, people that are real strongholds in their mind, yes, absolutely. Problems with, with the will, where they're just willful going to do what they want to do, oh yeah. But 99% of the problems in the modern church stem from emotional sin. I didn't say being emotional, I said emotional sin. Say it with me, emotional sin. So it's real important you walk out of here knowing exactly what that means. We got a handle on what it means to sin with the body, the mind, and the will, but what in the world does it mean to sin with the emotions? It's impossible. Of course, it's possible to experience emotions without sinning. Just like I don't have to sin with my body, my mind, or my will. It's possible. Scripture is very, very plain about this. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and sin not. That's right, I'm just like Jesus. I'm angry. No, be angry and sin not. But it's possible to be angry and sin. Does that make sense? Okay. James 1.20 tells us that man's anger or emotion does not produce the righteous life that God desires. It's never going to happen. The righteous life includes you being the well. The righteous life, you know, includes you being a well of life to other people. Your emotions never going to get you there. We've taught you for years in this church that your emotions are given to you by God. Everybody say, by God. To experience life. Not run your life. I feel so I do. I feel so... I react. But watch this, okay? Because 
I've seen where the move in the body of Christ is to treat emotions as a non-impacted factor of the fall, when in fact the fall has affected your emotions just like it's affected every other part of your life. So I ask you, did the fall affect the physical body of a human being? All you have to do is look in the mirror when you were 15 to when you are 80. That's a direct result of the fall. Anybody here ever have a sickness or a disease or an illness or something wrong with your body? Raise your hand. Ever in your entire life. You don't have to have it right now. That is evidence of what? The effect of the fall on the body. Anybody ever here have a serious issue, you know, mentally, whether it was depression or maybe it was something else, or you just had a long stretch where just you completely could not even think right. There was confusion. There was anxiety. These are evidences of the fall. doesn't mean that you're somehow a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. It's evidence of the fall to have a, an impact on your mind. Say it with me. The memory of the righteous is blessed. You say, well, I can't remember like I used to get back on the word of God because anything that's diminished your mental faculty is a result of the fall. You were originally godlike in your mental capability. You were God's region on this earth. He made you in his image. But how many could say we are not functioning at the highest level right now? And it's because of the fall. Thank God for the scripture that what? Renews our mind. Thank God that he can give us and bless our memory. But we're not where we're going to be one day. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the impact of the fall on the will where people can either experience confusion about God's will or darkness about God's will or even defiance of God's will. How did we get in this mess in the first place? Because an individual thought it would be good to what? Ignore the will of God and then entice her husband with the same temptation. Amen? Say, that's right, it's all the woman's fault, I knew it. You have that conversation at home. Let me know how it goes, okay? You just bring it back. He would have done the same thing. She just beat him to it. Point is, we know that. There are people who can't decide what color socks to put on. There are people who can't decide where to eat after church. Where does that come from? It's a result of the fall, and you shouldn't accept it. You should war against it. But I'm telling you this. In the same way, your emotions have become subject to the fall, and they don't function the way God originally designed them to function. And a lot of Christians have not allowed the Word of God, the blood of the Lamb, the Spirit of God to come alongside their emotions and deal with that reality and function at a higher level than people should and people are right now in the body of Christ around the world. It's a special category where we're, this is just the way we are. Do you really want to put up with that? Just the way I am physically. It's just the way just the way it is. I'm just a mess mentally. Just the way it is, I'll just choose it. Doesn't make any difference. No. In every other dimension, we are aware of it and we resist it. In the emotional realm, we just put up with it. And the result is the unchecked emotion leading us into all kinds of sin. You'd be amazed. Someone that uh, you know is having a problem bodily or with the mind or with the will you'll see so, so many times a catalyst being some emotion in their life. So it's important to get hold of this. Here's what I'm saying to you is the fall damaged your emotions. Say this with me. I have emotion damage because of the fall. But there's some good news. I have emotion redemption because of the blood. Come on, declared. I have emotion redemption because of the blood. But I'm not going to apply the blood to my emotions unless I understand there's a problem there. The devastation caused in families and people and churches and businesses all over the world because Christians have not gone to this final frontier of emotional redemption. Well, I don't know what, what the Lord's going to say to me in the coming year or two, whatever it is. I'll do what I'm supposed to do with this topic. But I am telling you, 
that 99% of the problems I've dealt with as a pastor have been because of this area of emotions. That doesn't mean I'm going to just do that and it's all going to be fixed. But how many understand the unfolding of the word brings light? And the first step is revelation knowledge. To understand really what's going on and what the devil's doing and how this area is hidden from our consciousness, therefore it is hidden from our area of victory. Go a little further with this uh, with you. David in Psalm 39, 3, the scripture says, the more he thought about it, the hotter he got, igniting words. You see how this worked? He thought, he emoted, and then he spoke or he acted. You'll see the connection there between thoughts, emotions, and actions. We sin with the emotions when it leads to unscriptural response and words, or we're abusing, controlling, or manipulating with the release of those emotions. Rodney brought up the rich young ruler. Hmm, what was it? What was it that cost him his divine destiny? You notice the Ten Commandments, how bodily oriented they are. He said, from a young person, I've kept the law. And you know, Jesus didn't disagree with him. So that wasn't a problem. It wasn't sinning with, him, with his mind. But what happened at that moment when Jesus gave him a command? Scripture says he went away sad. Well, we feel sadness, Pastor. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. It's one thing to have the fleeting sadness come by. It's another thing for you to bow your knee to it and do what sadness tells you to do. Instead of doing what Jesus told you to do, do what Lord sadness tells you to do. That's how emotion becomes sin in our lives. Think about this. God himself came down and got in Cain's face. And he said, what you're about to do, sin is crouching at your door, and what? You must master it. How does that for blowing up our theology in the New Testament era? Where I have to sin a little bit, I have to do this. Cain is a, is a, is a first generation, right? Procreation after the fall. How much, how much power does the curse have at this point? pushing him to sin. He's not born again. He's not spirit-filled. And yet God came down and told a man that wasn't born again or spirit-filled that he could master this emotion. God leaves. Next scene, you think he took a rock and smashed his brother in the head and killed him. It just goes to show you that it's not a gun that kills people. It's a human being that kills people. You don't have to go anywhere but the Genesis to get that revelation. And Cain picked up his 45 and blew his brother's head off. This is what it means to be a thinking Christian. Come on, say it with me. Thinking Christian. The real culprit was emotional sin. Uzziah, the most, arguably one of the most successful kings in the history of the people of God. God gave him witty adventures and expanded his military and expanded his treasury and expanded his territory and gave him peace and safety. Things that were used 100, 200 years later came from his inventions in the military. Raised the tutelage of the prophet Zechariah. And the Bible says that as he progressed, one day he's in the temple offering incense, which is only allowed for the priests to do. And the high priests and other priests came in there and rebuked him. The Bible says he what? He raged. Boom, instantly became leprous and lost everything. He wasn't doing what the sons of Eli were doing, having sex with temple prostitutes in the house of God. What got him? Emotional sin took one of the most successful kings in Israel's history out. Say it with me, emotional sin. Say it again, emotional sin. You see examples of this throughout the scripture. King Saul, jealous of David, couldn't help himself. He was just completely eaten up with it. And he saw David on several occasions. And what would he try to gift David with? A spear. But you know, it's telling that David wouldn't do what? 
wouldn't return the favor. Did real well until one day found Saul unprotected and went out as close as he could and snipped off a piece of his robe. And for that reason, David came under strong conviction. In this world, you're going to have a lot of people throwing spears at you. Amen? Emotional sin would be to throw it back. Pastor, it's fun to throw them back. I know, I know it's fun. It just has consequences. And today, it's not physical spears. It's words, posts, tweets. I'm so thankful to God we don't have a president making mean tweets anymore. I love the $7 gas. I love the destruction of our borders. Amen. I love to see the inflation that we haven't seen since I was a boy. But thank God there are no more mean tweets coming from the President of the United States. Do you ever want to pray about your country? Now would be a really good time to do it. Why, Pastor? Because this entire leadership team does not make decisions with a vision past the end of their nose. Shut down the Keystone Pipeline and then ask OPEC to lower their prices. Go from energy dependence right back to dependence on the Saudi. No thought about how this is going to impact the nation. It's leadership 101, and I'm quite frankly going to tell you that Joe Biden needs to attend a John Maxwell seminar. So... I don't like that stuff. Well, you can just lump it then. Because a big part of the problem in this nation right now is preachers who won't speak up on policy. They won't speak up for what is right and what is wrong. And it's still wrong to take the life of an unborn baby and snuff out the potential and divinity. I don't care if the Pope gives you communion or not. It's still wrong what you're doing and supporting it. Amen. And you pray for the Supreme Court as it addresses this Texas law and expands this across the country to protect those that are defenseless. If we can care about COVID victims, we can care about the unborn in this nation. And that's not anywhere in my notes. Hallelujah, glory to God. But did you know that discouragement can be a, an emotional sin? And Paul, when, when God told Joshua, be not discouraged. Be what? Be courageous. To be discouraged is a sin then. For we're told to sorrow not like the world, but then we go sorrow unlike the world as if the world's in because somebody has left us in this life. What are we doing? We're doing just the opposite. We're in emotional sin. That doesn't mean when you are going through grief, you're in emotional sin. But if you stay there, sorrow like the world, that's emotional sin. Did you know that it is emotional sin to get into fear? 365 times, not once, 365 times, God says to what? How many know he was making a point? Fear did not come into us. The fallen of the emotions came in the garden. As soon as they sinned, they hid from God because they were what? Afraid. Fear is an indicator that God is not high and present in your life. Sin. So watch this. Some things are quickly emotional sin because God has told us not to yield to them. They refer to fallen emotions. And some things are precipitators of sin. We need to be aware of those as well. There are emotions that God says to stop immediately, like fear. And then there are emotions that when acted upon constitute the sin and bring destruction every single time. Write this down on the tablet of your heart. If the expression of your emotion takes you out of love, then it's sin. If the expression of your emotion takes you out of love, then it is emotional sin. Come on, say it with me. If the expression of my emotion takes me out of love, then it's emotional sin. I'm so mad, I'm going to give it to him. You came out of love. That constitutes emotional sin. 
You throw the spear back. That constitutes emotional sin. I'm going to give somebody the silent treatment. That constitutes what? The use of manipulation and witchcraft with your emotions. It's emotional sin. Because you came what? Out of love. And all the damage you see done by people with their emotions, it's because at that moment they yielded to something other than love. And how many understand, if we're going the wrong way, we can turn this thing around in Jesus' name. Look at somebody and tell them, stay in love. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, uh, Titus chapter 2. It's time to say no to ungodly emotions. Most Christians have some active revelation of sins of the body, the doing, the will, the choosing, the mind, the thinking, but little revelation of a thing called sins of the emotions, and that's where the work is needed. Too many Christians give themselves a, a, a license to sin with the emotions, saying that's just how I feel. Mature believers can discern and self-regulate. They possess the ability to check themselves. Your feelings are wrong in this situation, and you choose a higher level of living by applying the word of God to that. The world might call this emotional you know, intelligence. What I'm talking about goes way beyond the world's intelligence. This is applying divine intelligence to an everyday problem in the body of Christ. Like the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, there's nothing wrong with that concept unless you put emotions above spirituality. What really matters is spiritually healthy emotionality. Does my emotional life contradict the values of the spiritual life, mainly the Word of God? If it's not healthy, it's sin. And the wages of sin is what, church? The wages of sin is what? Death. What is it? Death. What is it? Death. Yeah, okay. So uh, you've been dealing with the body thing, overall victorious, dealing with the mind thing, overall victorious. Glory to God. You learn to yield to God and do his will. And if it's not his will, you're like Jesus. I'm here to do your will. And you won't do the devil's will for nothing. You've got a hold of that. But you see it here today, and it's not dawned on you that yielding over and over and over again to your emotions is producing death in you. You may, listen carefully, you may have just discerned that element, that factor that's been holding you back in terms of your blessing, your favor, and your victory. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Thank God you're not in adultery. Amen. Thank God you're not a mess mentally. Thank God you're learning to choose the will of God. Well, if we can't deal with the emotional sin that may be in your life, we cannot produce the life in you or through you that God desires. And people deal with this stuff. I want you to, in your prayer time, as you're doing your five-finger devotions, and have an amen. I don't have time to repeat that, so let me say, when we're doing our five-finger devotions, amen? Yes, amen. I want you to pray for Dr. George Wood. He was superintendent for years over the Sims of God, and he's uh, been transferred to St. Louis with, uh, with a bout with cancer. We want to believe for his supernatural recovery. Say it with me. We call him well, healed, whole, and sound in Jesus' name. And how many know this should be a growth thing to us, right? Next year we're going to be more pure emotionally. Come on, say purity of body, purity of mind, purity of will, and purity of emotions. That's just the way I am. That's a cop-out. You need to be God, the way God designed you before the fall. Experiencing things without being controlled by them. George, Dr. Wood, went around uh, the churches for years collecting what he called the unofficial minutes of the Assemblies of God. And uh, these were stories that he, he heard from pastors and leaders as he traveled. And he put them down as accurately as he could and he would share these from time to time, and he was at a large church in Texas, and the youth group decided that they were going to, um, you know, sell T-shirts for a missions fundraiser. And uh, they just thought it was a brilliant design. And so as he saw the kids coming towards him on the front, the t did I mention we're talking the general superintendent of the Worldwide Assemblies of God, right? <laughs> on the front of the shirt, it said, we upped our missions giving. The kids on the back of the shirt put, up yours. 
He wasn't real happy about that, but that's one of his stories. Everybody say emotionally, emotionally. Mature, mature, and pure. He always told this story, and many of you heard this already, about the new convert at a church. And she came to the pastor one day and said, you know, uh, I don't really have a lot of gifts, but I'm really good at arranging flowers. Would you allow me to go to the remembrance table? Many of you know what those are like. And, uh, and put a nice arrangement on there from time to time. He said, that would be a wonderful use of your gifts. Please do that with my blessing. And so she shows up in a given day, and she's going to rearrange these flowers. And all of a sudden, this old lady shows up to tell her that those were placed in so-and-so's memory, and you can't touch that. That has to stay there. And uh, the pastor was in his office, and he began to hear a ruckus between these two people. And he did what any wise pastor would do at that moment. He stayed in his office. <laughs> Just stayed there and waited for the storm to blow over and move about. And um, he could tell you it's getting louder. You know, oh, the pastor said I could, I don't care what the, how many understand if you hear yourself saying, I don't care what the pastor said, you got a problem. <laughs> I don't care what the pastor said, you know, well, he said I could do it. No, you're not doing this. This was given in, in memory of so and so, and they're staying here. It doesn't make a difference how old and faded they are, they're staying here. And it escalates, it gets louder and louder and louder, and all of a sudden, he didn't hear anything. A few moments later, he hears a rap on his door. It's the new convert. She's absolutely beside herself in tears. She's just broken. And he goes, what's wrong? She goes, well, well, you said I could do this arrangement, and, and so-and-so said I couldn't take those flowers because they were in somebody else's memory. And, and you know, we started to argue, and I said I couldn't, she said I couldn't, and one thing led to another, and the spirit of slap came all over me, and I yielded to it. Um, true story, but there is no spirit of slap. It's called emotional sin. And sister, better than you won't let you do something? That's not cause for you to what? Haul off in a whacker. Amen? Say it with me. Emotional sin. Look at somebody and say, we don't do the spirit of slap here. If you're not careful, that's what you'll do is relegate everything to a spirit or a demon. I have the spirit of calories. (laughs) Spirit of slap. (laughs) That's no way to live. Amen. When you're asking the Spirit of God to search your heart, ask him to look for the misuse and abuse of the emotions. That's your tool for manipulation? Is that your tool for trying to get people to do what you want? Is, is that your go-to? Is that the area that's not fully you know, renewed like it should be? This, again, is not about putting anybody down because all of us had, one time or another, somebody's pushed us to the point of the spirit of slap. Amen. And so, well, if I already feel like doing it, shouldn't I just do it? No. It's like thinking about adultery is nowhere near as what? As bad as doing it. But it does indicate an area where you need some development in your life. Say it with me. Emotional sin kills. Just like physical sin. Yes, it does. More Christians are compromised and lose the blessing over emotional sins than any other kind of sin. It's time to expose them and neutralize them. Say it with me, neutralize them. Neutralize them. Now, the only thing worse than you discovering there's an emotional sin lingering in your life is to let you walk out of here without telling you what to do about it. Let's close in prayer. Every head bowed. Amen. Now, this has become for many people a habit, a way of functioning, a way of of living. And God wants to take you to the next level, not because he's down on you. He wants you to be the most victorious person you can possibly be. He's for you. Say to him, he is for me. He's not against me. You know, anytime you find any measure of conviction or correction from the Spirit of God, always always say that out loud. I know he's for me. The Bible says that he, he disciplines those that he loves. He's not against you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. So how do you decontaminate your will? Just write these down real quickly. You can meditate on these. And then we're going to go before the Lord and deal with this. Amen? 
How many of you are in a repentant mood? Just the two of you with the spirit of slap, everybody else is doing just fine. <laughs> I've been in this long enough to know as a pastor that this is not relegated to one or two people in this room. Let me try that again. This is not relegated to one or two people in this room. This is, okay. 1 Peter 2, 11, 12 says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, which they observe, and glorify God in the day of salvation. Um, the problem with sin is it wars against the soul. It takes the damaged component and makes it even worse. And we now know, say it with me, I know, there are sins of the body and the mind and the will and the emotions. For any kind of contamination, including things that are in the emotional realm, number one, neutralize them with confession and repentance. That's how powerful confession is. That's how powerful repentance is. Not slapping somebody, then repenting, and the next day doing it again. To repent means to have a change of mind with a corresponding change in behavior. I read Psalms like Psalm 51 and 32. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my iniquity. You want to neutralize these things with confession and repentance. When? When they come up, there's a bodily sin that he shows you is contaminating your well. Right then and there, repent. Confess it and repent. If there's some problem in your mind or your emotions or your will, right then and there. He's the only one that can do that. No man can be the Holy Ghost to you. No woman can be the Holy Ghost to you. But when he does that, neutralize it and don't play around with it. It's a serious thing. As long as that sin is there, it's producing death in us. A life that's far below our privileges in the kingdom of God. That should tell you how much God loves you. He wants the best for you. People see repentance as negative and somehow God down on them. No, it's a, it's a pathway to get to the best that God has for us. Number two is neutralize it with the blood. Amen. You apply the blood to that thing. You know what? Emotional sin, I call you out, and I'm applying the blood of the Lamb. I'm redeeming this area in Jesus' name. You are no longer going to control me, whether that is some kind of anger or some kind of frustration or whether it is sorrow or what it is, discouragement, whatever the case may be, you apply the blood. And how many understand you can do that today? I'm taking this, and I'm believing for supernatural power of the blood to give me victory in this area. And watch and see if he doesn't do it. How many know there is nothing that the blood can't neutralize? Aren't you glad for that? No matter how bad a case you think you are, there is nothing more powerful than the blood of the Lamb. Number three, neutralize it with a decision. You decide you want the anointing and glory more than the sin. Come on, shout it out. I choose the anointing. Deuteronomy 30 says, I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, and he gives you a tip, a kick in the rear, and says, choose what? Choose life. When you're at that moment where you can be yielding to an emotional sin, at that moment, up your mouth, open up your mouth and say, you know what? No, 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 not this time. I choose the anointing. Come on, shout it out. I choose the anointing. When you're about to give them your last two cents in your brain, no, stop and say, I choose the anointing. If you're walking around town and I happen to hear you say, I choose the anointing, I know what battle you're fighting. Whatever the nature of the sin, just, you know what? No, I choose the anointing here. I choose the blessing of God. I choose to be used of God. I choose the flow and the power of God. Not to be bound again by some emotional sin or mental or bodily or willful sin. I am going to choose the anointing. Come on, shout it out. I choose the anointing. I mean, right at that moment. And I promise you the force of those words, the force of that choice will give you victory in that situation. What are you saying? I choose the glory, the anointing, the power. I choose God's best over this stupid little thing. You know what? It's not worth throwing that spirit back. For some of you, it's not worth replying to somebody's post. Amen. I don't, I'm not on TikTok or Tic-Tac-Doe, whatever in the world they want to call it these days. But they're now saying that, especially teenage girls that watch these videos, these little snippets, what are they, 20, 30 seconds long? I don't know, 30 seconds long? 
They're now developing Tourette's syndrome from doing this. They're causing themselves neurological damage by watching these things nonstop. How about you watch and read and dive into something that's not going to damage yourself, but heal yourself? Amen? Say it again. I choose the anointing. I choose the anointing. Neutralize that thing with a decision to go with God's best. Number four, neutralize with resisting the devil. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll what? He'll flee from you. The Bible tells us that in James 4, 7. Scripture tells us in Matthew 4 that the way Jesus resisted the devil was with the word in his mouth. Have the word active ready on your mouth. The devil tries to tempt you and get you to emotional sin. You just simply let the word of God come out. So you know what? Here's what the word of God says about this situation. I'm going to do what the Word of God tells me to do. I'm going to resist with the Word. It is an indefeatable tool in your belt. Number five, neutralize with eyes on his return. Neutralize it with eyes on his return. Whose return? How many know he's coming back? I said, how many know he's coming back? How many know he's coming back? It's sooner than when we first believed. The early apostles believed it was any time. How many know it's even more any time now? Listen to these words in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Huh? They're going to be restored body, amen, mind, will, emotion, spirit, every which way. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Listen to these phenomenally powerful words. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You get up every day looking for his return instead of saying, ah, he'll never come back in my lifetime. Bless God. You know what? You could be completely wrong about that. That trump could sound by nightfall. I said that trump could sound by nightfall. We don't predict because that's not our job. The dates and the times and the seasons, they're not ours. Listen, generality is yes, a fulfilled scripture we know, which tells us he could come back. But listen to this. This actually will purify you. This will help separate you. This will cause holiness in your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body. Your spirit is already completely perfected and glorified. Unfortunately, there are other dimensions that you and I have to deal with. But the more you think about and dwell upon and talk about saying, come, I remember even as a baby Christian in church years ago, coming here as a college student, I heard a whole lot more about the return of the Lord. Come on, he's saying, he's coming back. Let the spirit and the bride say, come. When you hit that snooze button of, ah, you know, I'll just live my life, it can have the opposite effect on your life. Listen to this. Neutralize with confession and repentance. Neutralize with the blood of the lamb. Neutralize with the decision to choose the anointing. Neutralize by resisting the devil with the word. Neutralize with your eyes on his return. It builds hope and it keeps you pure. Look, if you really believe he could come back today, it's going to change how you live this afternoon. See, can I tell you something? Just because somebody prayed a prayer and got a decision card one time does not mean they're going on that load. Amen. Looking for his coming, longing, loving, the Bible says, his coming. If you really, really believe next week, it could be any moment. It's going to change how you live, how you talk, how you think. It's going to change everything about you. I really, want to get, I really want to blast that person. I want to give them a piece of my mind. You know, life would be so easy if it wasn't for people. <laughs> but at that moment, you stop and say, you know what? I'm more interested in going home to be with the Lord when that trumpet sounds than giving that person a piece of my mind. <laughs> Could you imagine, you know, a believer that's you know, hanging around and gets into sin and misses that trumpet call and they're talking to somebody else that's lost as a goose. Well, how come you didn't go? 
And that person at the fast food restaurant made me really mad. And I just went down a path that just took me into darkness, and that's where it all started. They didn't put cheese on my cheeseburger. You're going to lose God's best over a cheeseburger, are you? You'd be amazed the number of believers that believe because they prayed a prayer one time that they are actually prepared to meet him. It's almost as erroneous and deadly as the people that are preaching there is no hell anymore. Amen. Glory to God. Say it with me. I can sin with my body. I can sin with my mind. I can sin with my will. I can sin with my emotions. But the good news is I don't have to. Amen. Do you believe that today? Come on, let's stand and give him a hand clap and just bless him and praise him for a moment. Thank you, Lord.